Thanks for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. It's spring, which means our Good Friday service and Easter Sunday services are coming up. Please learn more online. And while you're there, if you're interested, please make a donation and click on give at milehighchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We are starting a new series today. This is a wonderful tradition that we have at Mile High Church. The three or four Sundays before Easter, we have a series usually called Spring Renewal. And this year we're doing a three-part series called The Wisdom of the Heart. And we're doing it a little bit differently this year. Often we have one speaker do all three Sundays, and this year we've split it up. So I get to start today. Next week, Reverend Josh will be doing part two, and then Dr. Roger will do part three. So it's going to be a bunch of love Sundays, the wisdom of the heart. Yeah, that's a good thing, isn't it? I like it. It's very exciting. So thank you for being here for part one, whether you knew you were coming for this or not. Uh, I really wanted to start the series off with uh, the title, The uh, Intelligent Heart, The Intelligence of the Heart. And the reason I wanted to do that is that I had, had been hearing a lot lately of people referring to the heart as the little brain. And I didn't know what that meant exactly. And I was curious about it. And so I did some research on the little brain. I consulted the famous doctor, Dr. Google, and uh, read a whole bunch of articles and research papers, uh, delved into the HeartMath Institute a bit. They continue to do huge uh, numbers of studies about the connection that the heart has. And here's what I discovered about this. In 1974, apparently, uh, French researchers um, were doing an experiment where they stimulated the vagus nerve. Now, the vagus nerve is the nerve that runs through the whole nervous system. And they found an electrical response that surprised them, that the, that, that, allowed them to deepen their research on what's really going on here. And the response suggested that the heart and the nervous system were not simply following directions from the brain alone, but rather the autonomic nervous system and the communication between the heart and the brain were much more complex than they realized. That the heart seemed to have its own type of logic and even acted independently of the signals sent from the brain. This spawned a whole new study, a whole new area, a discipline called neurocardiology back in the 70s. Now, one of their early findings was that the heart is this complex neural network and it's sufficiently extensive to be characterized as a brain in the heart. And it is commonly, uh, it's got a whole bunch of names to it. I'm not going to go into the details of the names. I had to look at my notes because there's so many detailed names in it. So you can consult Dr. Google to learn more about it if you want. But here's what really, really caught my attention about this research. In terms of heart-brain communication, it's generally well-known and accepted, I've thought this all my life, that the brain sends signals down through the body, through the nervous system, and into the heart. But this awareness that the heart also sends signals up to the brain really surprised researchers. And they said what they discovered because of the way this works The heart sends more information to the brain than the brain ever sends to the heart. 
Isn't that interesting? And so this spawned for me the intelligence of the heart. Today to look at how it is that we may have been ignoring our little brain, discounting our little brain, minimizing our little brain for the sake of what we believe to be the big brain, when in actuality, it's probably the opposite. This is where our intelligence truly lives. And so today I really want to discover and invite us to step into that intelligence because this, this discipline of study is showing us the potential of humanity. And it seems like we've thought uh, that this was the secret to our success, our brain, our mind, was if we could just get enough smart people in the world to get stuff done, that things would be important. And so this research showed me my first talking point is it's not enough to know. It's just not enough to know that we've revered our brain. We've revered our mind. We've revered knowledge for years. And we've thought and we've told our children and we've been told ourselves that a huge part of our value has to do with how smart we are, what grades we've gotten, how many degrees we have, whether we got one or not, that to be valuable in our world is to be a smart, intelligent person. And I am not minimizing that at all today. It is a wonderful gift if you're a brainiac, you know, like my husband is a math expert. I am not at all. I can add, but you know, I'm, that's, that's good enough for me, right? And subtract too sometimes, which is helpful. <laughs> and I love uh, Sherlock, the BBC production of Sherlock in this episode called The Woman, where the woman says to Sherlock, brainy is the new sexy. <laughs> Some of us who you know, want to think that our sex appeal is how smart we are and how intelligent we are. And that's absolutely true too. But it's not the most important thing about you or I. And that may be something we haven't realized or we realize later as we, as we grow into ourselves and become more authentic, we start to wake up and say, gosh, maybe it, it doesn't matter as much as I thought that I can pull out all these facts from nowhere and I can recite books and, and, and share different things. Maybe what matters is, can I love myself and others? Can I show that love and express? Can I express my emotions in a powerful way? So the first thing I'm inviting us to do is to, to wake up to, it isn't as important what you know, it's also important what you feel. That feelings and emotions are important. And, and I felt for years that our teaching teaches this. All of the New Thought teachers throughout the ages have taught us that in order to manifest the life we want to live, we've got to be in touch with our feelings because it's not enough just to be able to think happy, nice thoughts. It's also that we have to feel them. So any of us who've been discounting or saying, oh, feelings, they don't, they don't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm in touch with my feelings. Oh, I don't need to do my emotional work. What really matters is what I'm thinking. We're missing the boat in terms of creating the life we'd most like to live. Our founder, Ernest Holmes, in Living the Science of Mind, says, the real creative power of the mind is deeper than the intellect. 
It passes into the realm of feeling and acceptance, yet it is the intellect or self-conscious faculties that must speak the word in order that every obstruction may be cleared away. We could coin no better expression than to say that God speaks to the heart through a language of feeling, a feeling which is affirmative. So it does none of us any good from the standpoint of being a co-creator of our lives to avoid our feeling nature, to avoid the heart, to think that, that people who are filled with feelings and emotions are somehow weaker. In fact, I would assert today that the strongest, most centered and powerful people are people who are in touch with their smarts and their hearts right? The combination. It has to be both and. It can't be one or the other. It must include an awakening to that heart space within us, to that little brain. And that part of what Ernest Holmes is telling us and reminding us is that that heart sends sends its messages up to the brain so that we can think new thoughts and have new ideas and have more balanced thoughts. Whereas if the brain is running everything... Doesn't our mind talk us out of how great we are? Doesn't our mind want to talk us out of, out of the possibilities of life? Doesn't our mind sometimes be the worst culprit for, as we're moving forward, shutting us down? Doesn't the mind try to, to say to us, no, 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 don't, don't feel that, don't feel that, don't feel that. That's too much, that's too much. But today we're looking at that intellect and saying, you know what, what if it's not too much? What this is saying to me, what this means to me, is that it means that being heart smart is not just about eating Cheerios or anything like that. That being heart smart is just as important, if not more important, than being head smart. It means that it's time for us to wake up to this, and I think to hire people, hang out with people, uh, cultivate friendships, elect people uh, to leadership who are just as heart smart as they are head smart. I don't know about you, but I'm noticing a lot of really smart people are doing some pretty dumb things. <laughs> oh good, I'm glad I'm not the only one noticing that. <laughs> so just because someone's smart doesn't necessarily mean they're the greatest leader for us. So being heart smart is valuable. It means that we get to embrace and look at our dreams and, and be with them. It means that it's time to stop telling our children to stop crying and to not be so full of their dreams. It's time for us to tell ourselves new messages about who we are from the standpoint of this heart space. It means you gotta have heart to be successful in life. You just gotta have heart. And how do we do that? Wow, we've got to really stop avoiding our feelings. We've got to start letting ourselves feel our feelings and emotions. And I know it can be difficult. I was raised in a household where there was a, a key parent who told me and showed me and threatened me for being so emotional. And I fought long and hard to regain that emotional life that I was missing in my youth. And now that I've got it, here's some things that I notice about myself and that I notice in my passionate desire to be heart smart for myself and others is that I never apologize anymore for my tears. I'm not one of those people, whether they're happy tears or sad tears. Yes. No apologies. 
Remember that line from uh, that movie? There's no crying in baseball. There's no apologizing and crying, right? That's what I would say. And, and, and I know that even in, here in classes, someone will start to share and they'll start to cry and they'll say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No apologizing. Being fully upfront with tears of joy, those moments where our tears of sadness or hurt show up because it's in that willingness to be with each other in that space and be allowing of ourselves to be in that space that we can activate that heart that seeks expression through us. I never shame anyone in my life for their emotionality. I don't care how intense it is. I don't care how scary it is. I don't care if I'm with them and they have a feeling and I don't know what to do. In my world, in my experience, them expressing their emotions is more important than me feeling comfortable. So I have never, yes. So I have never said to my son, oh, stop crying, don't cry. Why are you crying about that? Instead, I've just tried to nurture him to the best of my ability, and I try to do that with other people and just be with each other. We get to stop making each other wrong. Aren't there times when we think, well, she's really great, but she's just so emotional. <laughs> she's too emotional. She wears her heart on her sleeve. We need somebody but what if that is a huge gift to be in touch with one's emotions? Now I get it. We sometimes get in touch with emotions and we don't know how to regulate. So we might need help with that. And so it's important to get help. But I think that we are suffering hugely in this world with anxiety and depression. And while a lot of it is chemical, there's a huge part of it is that we've been depressing our hearts. We've been depressing our emotions. We've been pushing them down and pushing them down. And that little brain is seeking expression through us. We have got to make it okay. And we've got to make it okay to have big dreams and to feel that heart that is guiding us and saying, what if? What if I could? What if we could? What if? That's part of the, the glory of the heart too. Every time we have one of those beautiful what-if thoughts, that's the heart brain. Listening to it, acknowledging it, being with it. It's vital for balancing out our lives. And so we find that we can do this more powerfully if we make friends with our feelings if we allow ourselves to experience our own emotional intelligence. That's a word that gets a phrase that gets bantied about, bantered about a lot. Emotional intelligence was the term was first coined in 1990 by researchers John Mayer and Peter Solovey, but it was later popularized by psychologist Daniel Goleman. And it's defined as the ability to understand and manage your own emotions as well as recognize and influence the emotions of those around you. Learning to do that is a great gift and to be that is a great gift. And I think one of the number one keys for becoming emotionally intelligent and in touch with our little brain is compassion, compassionate living. I get it. There have been times when all of us have been in pain, where we've been struggling 
where we were sad, where we had some great idea for how we wanted to live our life, and someone or someone's around us knocked us down, told us we couldn't do it, told us to stop being so pie in the sky or stop being so emotional. But those voices are scared voices from our past. So the unlocking right now that has to happen with compassionate living is we have to give ourselves possibly what other people haven't been able to give us up until now. We have to give ourselves compassion for our heart. We have to be compassionate when our heart breaks and when our heart aches and when our heart is happy and passionate and joyful. We are the only ones who can do that fully and completely for ourselves. And it's important that we learn how, and it's not always easy. I know it's not. In working on this talk, I had an incident this past week where um, I made a big mistake in my life. Nothing tragic that's going to harm our church or harm me or harm my life, but it was a mistake that I was ashamed of and that I was embarrassed about. And the truth is, no one would ever have to know if I just kept my mouth shut, right? One of those mistakes. But I was, I was really um, being hard on myself. I think I can be harder on myself than anyone has ever been in my life. Yeah, I see a lot of nodding heads. We can all recognize that, right? And so I really was struggling with this mistake. So I decided when I get home, I'm just going to have the courage and I'm going to tell my husband, Ken, that I made this mistake. And so I told him. And he was so loving and so compassionate with me around it and was so kind and was so supportive. And it touched me, number one, and made me feel so grateful that I have someone in my life who's so loving and compassionate for me. But later when we were talking about it, as I was crying, I said to him, you showed me the voice that I could have for myself. And so we talked about how having self-compassion sometimes starts because someone else has compassion for you and shows you that it's possible for someone to love you like that. And if someone can love you like that, can you love you like that? And then it also showed me that the more I, was, I felt loved like that, the more I could be compassionate with other people. It just started this kindness, compassion, energy that was so profound. And the research is showing over and over and over again that kindness, finding ways to be kind to people we know and share this life with and to people we don't even know but we hear about on the news or we read about in, uh, online or we encounter on social media. We don't gain anything by judging and making wrong. We shut down the heart brain and we shut down this brain because it's just not who we're meant to be. But every time we exercise the littlest bit of compassion for ourselves and others, we open up to the greatness within us. And the more open we are in that way, that heart brain that can love and have compassion for myself and others, quite frankly, the smarter we are. 
The more our genius comes through, the more the part of us that is the magnificent shines through us and we can make a huge difference in the journey of our living and on behalf of other people. I'm calling us today to be the intelligence of the heart and to start with compassion and kindness for ourselves. A kindness challenge. How kind can you be? And kindness to oneself is something no one will ever know that you're doing. Just like no one would have known that I was walking around on a day last week completely not in compassion for myself. But upon experiencing it, It softened me so much that who I was and every decision I made after that experience was softer and sweeter and kinder. That's all it takes, one moment, to truly change the world. I'd like to close with a story about my beloved stepfather, Richard Stedgman. Uh, married my mother. He'd been, he was 57 and he'd never been married. So all of you out there who think you're never going to get married, take heart. Because <laughs> they had a very happy marriage. He passed away about a year and a half ago or so. And he was a very accomplished man, but he was uh, uh, in the Air Force during the Korean War. And he was a mechanic that worked on all the planes and they were, uh, he was on a mission one day on a plane, very high up in the air. We believe there were about 10 soldiers on this plane. And all of a sudden, the hydraulic system of the plane crapped out. And he was an expert at the hydraulic system and worked hard to try to fix the plane. He and, and the other soldiers were doing everything they could because they knew that if they couldn't fix it, it was going to crash. They were all going to die. There was no way to make this landing, apparently. And so they worked and they worked and they worked on the hydraulic system and they couldn't fix it. And they finally surrendered and said, well, I guess this is it. We're going down in service to our country. And Richard said he went and he got a coffee cup and he filled it up with coffee and he stood there by the window of the plane knowing he'd done his best, taking a little bit of coffee, saying to himself, this is the very last cup of coffee I'm ever going to have. And he, I think in that moment when he told, tell, told us the story, I could see his heart kind of light up like, well, if I'm going down, I'm going to go. I'd go down with coffee in my hand. I'll tell you that for sure. (laughs) But he'd get this little gleam in his eyes and he just, I could tell like he engaged his heart as he took those sips of coffee and just surrendered, opened his heart to going on to his next experience, guess what? He got an idea. And he ran to the back of the plane, apparently, and he opened a panel you're not supposed to ever open, and he fixed the plane, and he saved all those soldiers. Yeah, thank you, Richard Stedgeman. A hero for many reasons, in my life and in the lives of so many. And it's just one example, one little example of the genius that lives in you and me. When we open our heart, boy, talk about saving humanity. Talk about saving your family. Talk about saving your life. This is what happens. The genius and intelligence of who we really are 
just shows itself and it shines itself. It can't help it. And so I invite us into the intelligence of our hearts. Be wise this week. Be compassionate. Be heartful. Feel those feelings. Be love. Let's pray together. I invite our practitioner prayer partners to join me if they'd like by standing as I pray. We stand together in God as God. And one more time, just as I did at the beginning of the service, I invite us to breathe into our heart space. To breathe from that little brain, as they call it, and just feel the flooding of our hearts. Filled with light and life. Beautifully as Gary has sung to us and will again, unbound, fully available. Ah, this is the nature of the divine as it shines itself brightly and brilliantly through all creation. And it is the nature of the divine as it shines through, in, and as us and as our beautiful hearts. What I know and accept, what I affirm is the truth of each one of us is that our heart is beautiful, magnificent, Our hearts are the genius of our beingness. And if we are wise, we listen like never before to the beating of our heart, to the wisdom of the heart, to the purity of the heart, and to that love. We find ourselves anchored firmly and joyfully into the nature of of our own heart space as we go forth in our life this week. And I accept and affirm that everything we are about, every relationship, every way that we serve humans in other ways as we walk together in this beautiful experience of humanity, as we share our gifts and talents, as we encounter experiences in the world, we are beloved heart places of light and love shining brilliantly to transform our world into a better place, into a loving, kind, joyful place where every human can express their genius fully and completely. This is who we are. This is what is unleashed in us this day and every day as we go forth from this place. And we just give thanks, I give thanks, that this is the truth of us, that we claim it, we proclaim it, we live it, we are it. It is so beautiful and so magnificent. And it is from this joyful awareness and recognition that I just release this prayer now into the action of that law that makes it so. This is so now. We let go and we let it be. And we say together, and so it is. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. To make a donation, please visit milehighchurch.org.